This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Very interesting conference was recently held in Washington, D.C. It was called Journalism in a Post-Truth World. What does post-truth mean? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. How did this D.C. conference define the term post-truth journalism? Well, the key to the whole conference is that there was a, a very interesting paradox going on inside the speakers in the sense that you had a lot of people, I would put myself in this crowd, whose background was in mainstream journalism. And we were primarily talking about something that we've talked a lot about, which is that the nature of journalism has changed from being a broad-based system where you're trying to deliver the news to everybody to more of a European model where you're aiming your material at an audience that supports you financially, that subscribers, loyal readers, and you're trying to keep them happy by telling them kind of what they want to hear. And for mainstream journalists, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. Before I got up on the panels, I spoke on two panels, one on media bias and the other on trends and coverage of the Catholic Church. And there was a, the first panel up in which Clemente Lisi here at Get Religion and the King's College was on. And their topic was, what is journalism today? What is a journalist? And Carl Cannon, the veteran White House correspondent, basically um, took all of the major themes from my recent piece for um, Religion and Liberty about how the business model has changed in journalism. And this is pushing major newsrooms into kind of more of an advocacy stance. And he gave all the reasons for why he opposes that, critiques it. Now, the other half of this dynamic, of course, is that the conference was sponsored by EWTN Television and Franciscan University, a prominent conservative Catholic school in Pennsylvania. And EWTN would be a Catholic version of the kind of European niche media, which is not to oppose what they do, but that's what they are. They are a conservative Catholic network, and that is their very openly professed point of view. So you had an acceptance of the fact that we're in a niche media age. It's what the Internet does best. That fact was accepted at this conference, even if it was kind of mourned. But at the same time, there was a, a very healthy, I think, discussion of the impact of this new era of journalism, the impact of that on American politics. The last pro-life Democrat, Representative Lipinski of Illinois, who was defeated in the uh, 220 elections running for the House, there was a lot of talk about the impact of this era of journalism on politics and on the church and on our discussions of religion. So how do you define post-truth? 
simply stated it was defined at this conference exactly the way that it's usually defined in academia. The term post-truth has been used in academia for quite some time to say we live in an age when we seem to have lost any common sense of standards in science or economics or political theory to define what the facts are in our public life. The term post-truth then was used primarily by the American left or the progressive side of things. They pinned it, some of us would say accurately, on some aspects of the career and style of Donald Trump, who manages to stand up and primarily using Fox News and its more niche-oriented evening shows, he could go right over the head of the mainstream press to about half of America and give his version of the truth, which frequently didn't need a whole lot of factual backup. And so the left really didn't like that. Well, now the conservative side of America, especially religious conservatives, they've embraced the term post-truth by saying that we no longer can count on the mainstream press to give us all the information we need to find out what is going on in our culture. And so it seems that the left thinks it's okay for them to use the term post-truth to apply it to Donald Trump or something. And a lot of us struggle with whether that's good or bad. But at the same time now, the conservative side of America wants to use the term post-truth to describe the actions of, say, some of the advocates of trans ideology to some members of the Biden administration. And for sure, some of the trends, which we can discuss the specifics of the trends later, some of the trends we see in press coverage today, the stuff that get religion talks about all the time. So the definition of post-truth seems to be kind of agreed on right now. But it makes people mad when people on the other side of this bitter divide in American life and culture apply it to their enemies. So it's okay when we use the term post-truth, says the left, and sometimes the right. But it's not okay for the other side to use that term. I give you a specific example of that, of one reaction to this conference in D.C. So that takes us to... The National Catholic Reporter, and I believe they actually had a reporter there, if I'm not mistaken, at the conference. What did you make of that coverage? And secondarily, how long did it take for that piece to get around to the former president? Well, I mean, let's see, if I remember correctly, the kind of the implication in the headline. The headline was EWTN-sponsored conference on journalism embraces right-wing post-truth narrative. So this would be an example of liberal Catholics being mad at conservative Catholics for using the post-truth language. And you can see in the top of the story, two Catholic institutions co-sponsored a conference last week where journalists from conservative news outlets and commentators from right-wing think tanks gathered at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., to weigh in on the state of journalism in a so-called post-truth world. Parentheses, 
there were definitely speakers in this conference, not a majority, but there were strong voices in this conference that do not fit a description from conservative news outlets and commentators from right-wing think tanks. I would say, yeah, definitely this was a conservative conference, but there were strong voices on these panels coming from more conventional forms of journalism. And like I said, there was this interesting tension between people who were kind of mourning the rise of the niche media age, while at the same time you had people there who were enthusiastically representing the freedom they had in the niche media age to do their jobs. So let me read just like one or two more paragraphs of this. In keynote talks and panel discussions during the March 10-11 event, several speakers voiced longtime conservative criticisms of the news media, accusing journalists and mainstream secular outlets of being ignorant of religion and hostile to Catholicism in particular. They described a news profession where reporters and editors promote legal abortion and gender ideology while marginalizing traditional religious voices. Yeah, that's a pretty decent summary. I also think that there are liberals in journalism, old-fashioned liberals in journalism, who would agree that there are major problems right now with coverage of religion and would agree that there are major problems with accurate coverage of traditional voices on some of those issues. So making this, the whole story is framed deliberately from kind of a liberal Catholic versus conservative Catholic perspective, which is absolutely fine since the National Catholic Reporter is a left-wing Catholic niche media publication. In effect, we have a progressive doctrinal Catholic publication critiquing the work of a conservative doctrinal Catholic network, EWTN. I did find it interesting that later in the piece, there was totally intention with the top of the piece, from my perspective, there is a very nice summary of what I gave you earlier about this was an academic term, and then it says that during the Trump era, this was post-truth was applied to Trump, and we had the media beginning to talk about alternative facts, that Trump kind of was making up his own facts in a lot. So there's a nice summary in this article of the material about the history of this term, and they noted that some people at the conference were pro-Trump people, but lots of people were not pro-Trump people. And the keynote speaker, I mean, the final speaker was the head of EWTN, and I believe he was someone who was on the record as having supported Trump, or at least having voted for him. But the other keynote speaker was actually, as I said, a former Democratic congressman with 16 years of experience on the Hill, who is frequently referred to as the last pro-life Democrat to leave the House of Reps. So this National Catholic Reporter article is, in its own way, a perfect example of the tensions that are going on in the same way that some of the news that's offered by EWTN would be viewed just by the left as a perfect example of niche commentary analyst media. So there's a lot of ironies in this piece. But I did appreciate the fact that it at least got the post-truth narrative 
of the history of the term down. Now, way down in this piece, there was this admission. Let's see if I can find the actual reference. There's like one paragraph in this story that admitted that there were people there recording or speaking, I should say, from a more traditional journalism perspective. And that, that came up, ironically, in the panel, one of the panels that I was in, although I'm not quoted in this piece, when it talked about coverage of the Roman Catholic clergy sexual abuse controversy, this whole era that began in the mid to late 80s to the present. And it quoted Tim Graham of the Media Research Center as saying that the sexual abuse offered a chance for the media to bash the Catholic Church. And that was part of what he said. At the same time, then there was this one other sentence. Other conference speakers and presenters spoke of the necessity of the press covering clergy sexual abuse and other scandals in the church. Some panelists also touched on various challenges facing the news media, such as the industry's decline in advertising revenues and the pressure to appeal to readers by offering clickbait content that may not comport with traditional journalism standards. <laughs> One paragraph that describes the entire other half of the conference. So this article gives you the half of the conference, from my perspective, that they wanted to criticize for their audience, because that's what their audience wants to hear. And they turned 30, 40, perhaps even 50% of the conference into one paragraph pretty standard approach to preach to the people in your own silo journalism, which was kind of what the conference was about. Just for the record, the Franciscan University of Steubenville's website that has its own story and summary on this has a kind of short list of media outlets that were represented, including Get Religion, National Catholic Registered, The Washington Post, OSV News, Fox News, CNN, Real Clear Politics, The Catholic Herald, The Spectator, Washington Examiner, National Review, Daily Signal, Catholic News Agency, and The Daily Caller. So there is a smattering of pretty much legacy media outlets in there. Yeah, and, and I asked them, by the way, to identify me as a columnist for the Universal Press Syndicate, and they chose to go with Get Religion because they thought for their audience that that was my better known affiliation. I'm one of those guys who kind of has a foot in both media and that I run for 20 years. I've run a, a commentary site with a very professed open point of view. Yet at the same time, I'm also an opinion slash analysis columnist for a major national syndicate. So I still consider myself to be an analyst working in the mainstream press. And the fact that Carl Cannon and Clementi Lisi spoke on the very first panel. And those two voices did a lot to frame the discussion of almost everything that came afterwards. Clementi has an article up at Religion Unplugged, kind of offering a summary of his presentation. And I'll post that at Get Religion. Also, in the future, I'm hoping that all of these presentations are available online. They're not up at YouTube yet. I know Franciscan University videoed the whole thing, and at some point people will be able to watch these panels for themselves. I'm intrigued by something you mentioned earlier, the discussion of trends in press coverage. Obviously, the big one covered is the siloization, the kind of preaching to your choir trend. What other trends in press coverage were discussed? 
Yeah, I think it's important to realize before we go to that, because I don't think I could discuss what's coming next without saying first, that there was kind of a confusion in the conference in the sense post-truth. The word truth was used in a number of different ways, and in my opinion, all of them valid. The truth was frequently referred to as, I have found the truth. And they're talking about their relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. Then there are other places where you would hear, like, say, a Catholic EWCN or one of the Catholic publications saying, we, we know what the truth is, and we're here to defend it. And when they say that, they mean the Catholic catechism. They mean the formal teachings and dogma of the Catholic Church. Then you have other people like me and Clementi and Carl Cannon and others who, when we're talking about defending the truth, to some degree we're talking about the press's loss of ability to even debate the status of facts or even to openly quote where they're getting their facts from. And that's where you end up getting into some of the trends that dominated this conference. I, I would say that most of the discussion at the conference cycled back to discussions of abortion coverage and coverage of gender dysphoria and the entire kind of trans era. Looming over that was the fact that many of the language of these debates in the Associated Press style book, as you and I have discussed before, we actually are beginning to see the progressive liberal approach to the language of these subjects written into the AP style book as gospel with a small g for the journalism industry. So to some degree, the institutionalization of the post-truth era, if you're defining post-truth as kind of niche advocacy journalism, that's now being written into the Bible of the news industry itself. So we talked a lot about the trans wars and the fact that very, very liberal people in any traditional sense of the word, like Abigail Schreier, Barry Weiss, and others, they're now considered conservative because they're quoting doctors and scientists, many of them trans themselves, who disagree with the trends toward gender-affirming care and disagree with this whole idea written into the style book now that sex is something assigned at birth and that to even mention DNA, like to say people are defined by their DNA, that's now a bigoted or prejudicial statement. But there were other issues looming in the background. So let me give you some of them that came up in the context in conversations and discussions and in presentations. I think what has happened in the last two to three months with admissions about the fact that the COVID retrovirus almost certainly was a mistake that was leaked from the lab in Henan, China. And the fact that you literally could be banned from social media and that that point of view couldn't even be reported two years ago or one year ago, and we're finally seeing it surface as, oh, by the way, the following agencies now think this is the most likely and scientifically viable explanation for what happened. So the fact that the post-truth age, not being able to agree on what the facts are, 
And here's the big one, not agreeing on what voices are even allowed to be quoted in the media. And that, for me, is the essence of what the dominant view of post-truth journalism was at this conference. What's happened with the COVID leak was certainly a big factor in this conference. The Nordstrom pipeline bombing story, which finally we kind of got like a oblique reference the other day that the most likely people to have blown up the pipeline was not Russia, but that it was Ukrainian activists of some kind. One person at a table discussion I was at said, does anybody think Ukrainian activists could have put thousands of pounds of explosives at the bottom of, of an ocean and hit that pipeline without some sort of assistance or equipment or technical advice from America? So that story, the Hunter Biden laptop story, of course, was referenced several times. There was a point when the story was banned from social media. The New York Post coverage right before the election, did that influence the election? The fact that that story was not discussed. And now we grudgingly have mainstream media admitting that the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop are not Russian disinformation, but seem to be what they actually appear to be. And that's creeping into coverage uh, in the mainstream press. That issue came up a lot. Battles over immigration. Now, among Catholics, you have an incredibly diverse array of viewpoints on immigration because of the large Latino population and Hispanic influence in Catholicism. But at the same time, at this conference, what a lot of people were saying was, why can't we at least discuss the facts of what's happening? on our southern border. When the press doesn't want to listen to one side of this debate. So immigration loomed over it. And one more example of this, uh, Clemente Lisi mentioned this, of course, as you would expect, this whole issue of attacks on crisis pregnancy centers. And of course, crisis pregnancy centers in the Associated Press can no longer be called crisis pregnancy centers. What are they, anti-abortion activists? centers or facilities or something, but the attacks on crisis pregnancy centers and churches came up over and over again, that this was an example of a post-truth subject, that while these, these things all happened, there's no question they're happening, and we even have people claiming to be the attackers, this is a topic that isn't covered in the press, whereas justifiably, in my view, if we were having the same level of attacks on, let's say, progressive liberal mainline churches who were serving as sanctuary churches for refugees and or people illegally crossing the border or whatever, if we were having attacks on liberal churches, to me, that would be a totally valid story. And don't you think that would be covered by the press? Or if the horrible chain reaction of attacks on black churches a number of years ago got lots of coverage and deserved it so where is the coverage now of the attacks on catholic churches evangelical churches and on these facilities providing alternative care for women facing crisis pregnancies that's just a quick summary of some of the topics that at this conference People were saying, we don't know where to go to get facts about these stories. 
because the mainstream or the elite press will not cover these stories. They choose not to because their readers who pay for content, they're not interested in these stories. It's, they don't have a dog in that fight. They don't have a horse in that race. Pick a metaphor, any metaphor. But that's a quick summary of some of the issues that loomed over this. With just a couple minutes left to us here, Terry, you're quoted in one story, and you had mentioned it briefly a, a moment ago. You say that we might as well live with the fact that transparency has replaced objectivity as the gold standard in journalism. What do you mean by that with about two minutes? Well, that's not all I said. I qu- that was quoting the Pointer Institute in Florida as saying they think transparency has replaced objectivity. And they define transparency as being very open about your political perspective and very open about your journalism methodology and kind of the lens through which you're viewing the world. And what I was saying is that it seems like that's what's happening on both the left and the right in media, and that's what's happening in the elite media, which in the past we would have said would be neutral. But nobody seems to want to talk about that. I mean, you don't have major elite publications like the Washington Post or CNN or you don't even have MSNBC or Fox openly stating, we know who our audience is. Our coverage is tailored to meet the needs and the viewpoints of our audience and being transparent about that. That isn't happening. The other thing that we discussed a lot was, okay, then where does the public go to get facts? I did something you've heard me do before, which is I recommended that people set up a Twitter feed where they picked at least 10 voices they trusted on the cultural and political left and 10 voices they trusted on the cultural and political right and defined trust as people on both sides who read voices all across the spectrum and at least accurately let you know what people are saying. I told people, like at the end of my article in the Religion and Liberty Journal, that to some degree we're now on our own trying to face a search for factual material. So I said it would be great if more publications in their online versions gave us the URLs to their sources, gave us transcripts of their interviews, gave us links to the actual video streamed content that they were covering in a way of being transparent with their audience about their sources, which might regain some trust. When I read left-wing advocacy media or right-wing advocacy media, the main thing I'm doing is looking for links to their sources so that I can read that material for myself and try to make a decision about whether they've covered it fairly and accurately. And I think we should be asking niche advocacy publications of all kinds to be much more open about their sources and share those sources with us so that we can take a look for ourselves at that information. And hopefully more Americans will spend the time and energy it takes to do that kind of work for themselves. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. 
He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Madden. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.